This boy and girl are going to be well equipped when the time comes to take their places as worthy members of adult society. Aloha, y'all. This is Daniel Eisenman, the host of the Breaking Normal podcast, where my guests are all invited based on the frequency of synchronicity, all done in person, and all trailblazers and the breaking of all things normal. All right, y'all. Here we are. I'm with my friend, Corin Mandel. And I actually am, I'm more curious, Corin, and I have a feeling this conversation is going to be very, um, I don't even know the word for it, so let's find out what I will say after it. <laughs> we'll figure it out <laughs> yeah. once we're done. Uh, maybe casual could be one way of putting it, but not to undermine the, the potency <laughs> of it. Um, how do you think we know each other? We, um, you came to the shop. I think you reached, reached out to Padme. Skylar, I think you met first, mm-hmm. and he told you a little bit about Tiny Temples. Mm-hmm. Yep, and then got talking after that. Yeah, and then I met you there at the place where you were building a tiny temple, a tiny home, or what would you call what you're building? Tiny there? temple. A tiny temple. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful work, and it immediately reminded me of um, my friend's dad, who is uh, Rafe Kelly, who's been on the podcast twice. Two of my favorite conversations ever. Thanks, Rafe. Check them out. I think I think the episodes are like, as porn is to sex, <laughs> video games are to play, something like that. And the other one was like, my dad was butthole tanning yeah, before yeah. it was cool. And the, what happened was when I saw your work, your beautiful, amazing work, I was like, man, this reminds me of Sunray Kelly. And that's Rafe's dad. And then yeah. I told you that. And you're like, yeah, I, I think I remember you saying like you were being mentored by him. Or yeah, yeah. I lived there him. for a bit and worked with him. Yeah. Well, Sunray Kelly is arguably the, one of the most breaking normal people I've ever met. And Yeah. Room. He's one of my deep inspirations for sure. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about that? Maybe maybe Rafe will listen to this and tell Sunray. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, doubt, totally. I doubt Sunray will listen. He might not remember. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I am curious what, because he's very inspiring to me and I'm very curious what was, what, what's such a deep inspiration to you about Sunray Kelly? Um, my biggest inspiration is the emergent architecture. So um, the process of really working with what we have on site and allowing the, the house to, to come from that land and from the materials that we're using. And so I call it evolutionary architecture or merging architecture. And uh, it's definitely a new way of building that not a lot of people are accustomed to. And it's a more feminine way of building than straight lines and uh, squares and boxes. Yeah, that's what I remember because when we went to, we teamed up with Rafe multiple times on retreats and we were at his property multiple times and I got to hang out with Sunray in some of those buildings and he was, he is just so radical. Yeah. <laughs> I remember him saying like, yeah, I don't believe in lines. Oh yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I I have a lot of stories from being over there. <laughs> Is there one that comes to mind? Just um, one, because if you, for y'all that are listening, you don't know what we're talking about. This place, like if you if you're very curious, send me a message, and I can maybe connect you with the people if you have a reason to go there. But this is one of the most magnificently breaking normal places I've ever been to, and I've been to a lot of breaking normal places. And this wizard is out of this world. Yeah, he is definitely a wizard, the most Hobbit-like person I've ever met. There was a few. I remember one time with an intern. We were carrying a giant log, me and him together, 
pretty heavy. We're young, pretty strong kids. Then he comes over barefoot and grabs two of them under each arm and walks away. There is uh, I also his like genius is pretty amazing. He has no idea how to like at least when I was there. He he doesn't have a very good comprehension of like technology or computers, but he built an entire electric engine for his truck without looking up anything and was just getting these downloads on how to put it together. Uh, and so I, I helped him out with uh, two of his first tiny houses, actually, or I think they were his first. Oh, well, I can tell you. Um, Mobile tiny houses. Y'all, like that's when I, it all like connected and I was there with you. I'm like, wow. So my next question is to you for like, for Sunray and yourself and anyone that's dialed into these downloads. Mm-hmm. Where, where do you where did these come from? So for you and maybe for other people, I'm just curious what you have to say about that. Yeah, I mean, w- what my biggest inspiration is is the original dwelling where all animals, all humans throughout time have come from, um, and that's where we get the most support that we feel most comforted, and that one dwelling is the womb space. Uh, so there's a biological connection to curved spaces. And then after we came out of the womb womb space and throughout time, caves were kind of our next dwelling space. And so there's, uh, my biggest inspiration is the natural world and the way things develop naturally. And so even, I I use a lot of the the natural world, um, but also am influenced by the way the natural world is created, which is an intuitive, uh, very uh, organic way of emerging. Well, on that note, I have to thank you for um, the garden beds that we just got to eat from. Mm-hmm. That I literally had to like take, had to take about fifteen minutes because I ate a jalapeno that was too <laughs> spicy. Um, the garden beds are awesome. I, I like. I don't know if y'all are going to still be offering that service locally or in the future, but holy moly, um, I got to grow some amazing fruits and greens and herbs that are really starting to thrive now. And I thank you for that. Yeah. So that, that was a that was a side project of tiny temples, um, of just we've done this two years in a row, uh, using reclaimed materials. We build as many garden beds as we can. They're quick and easy and it kind of helps support people to grow food. And uh, Daniel said he needed, some, he was inspired to make some garden beds and so, or to have some garden, garden beds for your daughter. And I felt inspired to offer those to you. So they're more of an offering to the community. Um, the way that we structure our business is very more humane based rather than just profit-based. And so trying to support nature as much as possible and trying to support humanity as well. Yeah, because the garden beds are not like the same wood I would use from if I bought from Home Depot. What, no. like, what's the story behind how, why, why are these garden beds maybe more humane? Or Yeah, so they're called tailings. So they come from a mill uh, and those are their off, their, their cutoffs. So when they, they cut a log straight, they cut off all the round parts of it. And so then we come in and buy all of that for really cheap. Like it. Yeah. It reminds me of whey protein. Yeah. 
<laughs> I think I feel like whey protein was like a, for many farmers it was like for cheese yeah, yeah. farmers it was like this is like a byproduct they would might feed yeah. their pigs if they were doing mm-hmm. things even better but then someone realized like oh we can make a whole business out of this and actually the liver as well I don't oh, yeah. I, liver uh, it was is different because indigenously and inherently and historically liver has been prized I think there's just been a gap of time where humans have really lost their connection to their source of food. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the things that me and you are probably excited to connect about because, I mean, in reality, I, I interviewed Jill O'Brien last night and, and supply meets demand. Supply meets demand. Mm-hmm. And if we, and, and, her, and what she was saying is she really believes the big, one of the biggest problems humanity is facing is that we're continuously, since like the late 1800s, uh, monocropping the Great Plains to to grow soybean and corn to feed animals in confinement. Yeah, totally. And I'm like, man, I don't, I, I was like, I don't participate in that. I was like, wait a minute, I might, some of the dog food I might be, uh, might be probably from grain fed cow operations. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I just got to get real clear on that. And I want to like put that call out there. And I, if you have anything to say about it, like as a whole, we can, if supply meets demand. I'm going to say that again. Supply meets demand. So by, Taking by taking Davina to a school that mandates mask, even though if I don't believe in that, I'm perpetuating that. Mm-hmm. Totally. By buying dog food that's fed from grain-fed cows on these slaughter feed operations, I'm voting for that. Yep. And I gotta be real about that. And it's the same with the building industry. The way we've constructed, the way we've milled materials is for ease of shipping. The reason it's square is so it could fit on a flatbed trailer and you could fit more of it onto a trailer and ship it farther and make more money off of it. And um, we've also lost some of the art of actually working with what we find. I usually say a good carpenter isn't necessarily what you build, but what you're able to find. And so my deepest joy in building is actually the exploration of finding reused materials, uh, finding materials from the natural world. Uh, I like to say, too, that some of the most, it's, it's a great metaphor, some of the most gnarled, what we might, some people might call ugly trees are, to me, the most beautiful. And so for me, my process is actually accenting the natural beauty that's already there. And so really, the key to my artistry is actually seeing the beauty and what's there and also doing that with humans and the way we run our company too. So that again, that we're not putting profit before humanity, humanity and joy starts out, which I could talk a little bit about the way our business is run that actually like encourages more humanity and in, in the way we relate as well. Yeah. Let's talk about that because if you, I, I've been kind of, I'll have to, probably put an intro to this podcast because I've been kind of assuming that y'all might know what he's up to, but for, for <laughs> one of many things is these tiny temples, these tiny, the tiny homes, the thing that you were building when I was there. Mm-hmm. This is not just like, I know converted vans and this whole thing is a huge movement right now, mm-hmm. but you're doing something quite unique and I would yeah. love to hear about. And so there, those that are listening, understand what it is you're doing. Because you're obviously passionate, but you are also walking the talk. 
Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people have a lot of theories right now, but you are, it seems, in my opinion, it looks like you're out there doing the work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of people, what they do is shrink houses that are built the way they're built normally and put it on a trailer and then they call it a tiny house. Uh, w- the benefit of having a small house though is actually being able to spend more time on the details and actually the feeling of the space. The reason people build the way we do is for efficiency, majority. Uh, the, the, way, the way our building materials are made, the way our businesses are constructed, they're for efficiency and profit. We're kind of taking a step back more into our hearts and allowing the process to be more organic and intuitive. And so every morning we start out with morning check-ins. So we check in to see how everyone's doing. That creates a resonance within our field. It brings vulnerability, which is something if that's not found very much in, in construction. If you go to most construction places, it's probably the, one of the most overly masculinated, hmm. uh, unhealthy masculine, masculine, uh, masculine environments. Uh, if you even look at all the words that come from construction, hammer, screw, there's a lot of... Uh, Drill. <laughs> yeah, yeah, stud. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So most of the, the more brute words actually come from construction. Uh, it's, it's a very masculine field for anyone who's ever been in large-scale construction. But what we're trying to do is actually bring some more humanity and heart into that situation. So that morning check-in creates vulnerability and connection with, with, the, with the crew so that if someone's having a difficult time, that we can give them an extra attention that day or people can give them extra support during that time. Then we also do a meditation or an activity that helps bring us all into resonance and fun because my view is play and fun is what we see in something that's beautiful, something, a piece of art. Even if they are in a hard emotional state, if they didn't enjoy making that painting, I guarantee that painting is not going to look very nice. Mm. And I see it happen in all forms of art. And so putting us into a place of joy and resonance together connects us as a crew. And then also creating a synergy within our crew by the people that we bring on. So people are aligned with our vision, aligned with a heart-centered way of living. And then also, and, and so during the day, there's a lot of, we have dance breaks, we have a costume box. Um, people are also given their right to be human and to allow to take allow themselves to take care of themselves and their bodies so they we give we, people can schedule whatever times they want to show up and obviously if someone's not showing up then there's a way that possibly this job isn't in alignment but we don't most jobs harp on the fact of being on time for something for us we want your organic process to emerge and we want you to come out of your own inspiration not because you a, f- a feeling of obligation. And so it's really inspiration-based. And then all of our buildings that we create have a similar aspect to that where you can imagine a building um, in your head as clearly as possible. You're never going to f- quite get how that building feels when you're actually in it, no matter how good your imagination is. 
And so our process is actually starting to build and then stepping inside the building. And that's when the most creative, organic, alive decisions and ideas come is when we can step into that space and feel what wants to be created. My first uh, company is Natural Building, um, which is mostly permanent structures, which we build from the earth. We, we feel into the land and what wants to create it rather than what most architects do is conceptualize an idea and then, it's just, which is another more masculine approach, they conceptualize something that's stylistically cool. It might not feel good because they don't actually know what it's like to live in it, but it's stylistically cool and then they implant it wherever they want or are told to on the earth. Our process is really feeling what, what the earth wants to create and what wants to emerge naturally from the earth that would feel aligned with the landscape and the things around it and using the materials around it. Um, so the, our, our second company is Tiny Temples, which is on a trailer, which is a little bit different, but we still apply some of the same process where we step into the space and we every, every morning as well in our drop-ins, we put intentions out and good thoughts and prayers for the client. And so we start to align and synergize with the client. And then as, as we're feeling the client through the day, we can imagine um, that space coming from them. And we also do a ceremony before every build with our clients, which imbue the space with different intentions. Um, we also like call in certain aspects that feel resonant with them, certain archetypes, certain deities. And then we merge sacred geometry and organic architecture together to kind of form a space that really synergizes and connects with that person. Wow. <laughs> wow. How many have y'all done at this point, you think? And how are like the experiences for the clients? Because I, I think yeah. I've heard a little bit, but I imagine they're quite inspiring. Yeah, well. I've lost count a little bit. Um, we, we just finished, we just had five projects in our shop and we're getting ready for a move. So we kind of simmered down and we're just working on a few projects right now. Um, but uh, yeah, I think uh, the, the last tiny house we completed was for a woman who does healing for uh, vets and so she brings them in and allows them to like really ground in an off-grid space and then does three healings a day to help uh, move through whatever trauma or transformation mm -hmm. that they need and so there was a lot of intention in that space for that we had uh, two vets working on it one did uh, acrylic pores and that was his own process of dealing with PTSD. So um, mm -hmm. it kind of synergized with her intention. Well, that's kind of like quite the synchronicity. <laughs> that's You just told me that because um, today I played disc golf for the first time mm -hmm. in probably maybe a half a year. And sure enough, this guy comes biking up offering water water to our dogs or to ourselves because it's going to be pretty hot and dry out there in Valmont. It was kind of a nice cool thing. And he was basically raising funds and awareness for a PTSD mm -hmm. of veterans. Yeah, and it's totally. like, um, I wonder, what do you have to say? I mean, there's a lot of things that could be said about that right now. with like going on currently in mm -hmm. the world and uh, we, 
I just, yeah, you have anything on your heart about that? Yeah, I mean, um, well, one thing we're doing on the new property is we're getting an old missile carrying trailer and turning that into a tiny house. Um, but uh, we, we're also working with another uh, possible client that is creating a deprogramming center down in Colorado Springs to bring vets to, there's a lot of conditioning of being in the military that people that I haven't personally been in it, but I know a lot of my friends who have that they basically become governmental property and then you're an experiment for them to do whatever uh, they so please. They inject you with vaccines that they say are yellow fever every week. You only need a yellow fever every year. <laughs> um, so th- That's another uh, big topic right now. Yeah. For sure. Um, so yeah, we've had a few vets that are working and have worked for us and that's uh one of the programs too is kind of to help bring uh more disenfranchised people not to say all vets are disenfranchised but bringing them into a like creating sanctuary for them and giving them a place to rest and feel at home and centered yeah, I like that. I like the strategy. It sounds like the, your client is implementing of like getting someone off the grid a little bit and having their own little. This is, would be like the place they stay during mm-hmm. this integration and healing. Yeah, which is which is a good segue too to the eco village we're creating as well. Yeah, let's talk about yeah. that because um, I mean that's one of the reasons I think we also resonate is mm-hmm. me. I I always I've heard like build the place and the people will come. Mm-hmm. And I've been to all these different places to host all these retreats, yeah. but it didn't seem like the people are staying that are coming. Yeah. And mm-hmm. there's an issue. So I thought, like, why, why not build the people and mm-hmm. then the places will come? Yeah, yeah. And totally. the places will arise in a way. Yeah, totally. And it's like, that's why I'm like, wow, so inspired by what you're doing. And yeah, I'd love to talk about whatever, revillaging or what are you mm-hmm. doing with this eco village yeah, idea? Yeah, totally. let's, let's, let's dissect this a little bit. Yeah. And it's, it's, a, it's a large organism of a project. Uh, the process is the main, our main mission is creating sanctuary. Um, I, th- I think a lot of the reason that people, I, I've been to a lot of eco villages myself and kind of like dissected them a bit. Um, I think the main reason a lot of people don't stay is because there's, they're, they're, they might be so outside of the world, outside of our culture that there's no actual like income for them to like continue to live their passions. Or, I mean, there's, there's a, a lot of reasons but what we're creating is a a large organism of a whole civilization in a sense where it has all different aspects, but we get to design it and create it. And so we're creating economy on site with that. That's the main reason we created tiny temples, which is mobile tiny houses was for this eco village so that wherever we are, we could be building uh, our imagination and our dreams and, sending these little pods out to wherever we might need. And we don't have to, the the part I don't like about some of the jobs, construction jobs I've had is having to drive back and forth every day. And so if I, for this eco village, we really want people to stay. And so designing as many different 
places for people to fit in in their unique expression. And so part of sanctuary is really allowing people's deepest selves to emerge and then providing everything that's needed so people can rest. And so uh, it's a multifaceted faceted organism. The main part is, is healing. So there's, there's a healing sanctuary where people can go, like, vet, like vets, people who are going through their own transformation. There's going to be a, a, a center for uh, death doula and birth doulas where you can be immersed in nature and actually like die in a place that's not super connected to the grid, which I, like I know personally, anytime I'm going through any dark period of my life or and especially if I was dying, I would not want to be in the city. There's like just something that feels stressful and congested. And there's not very many sanctuaries that allow an easeful passage. And so Healing Earth Homes will be building different earth pods and temples in, uh, that people can go, through, go to for transformation. And then we're having a support system of healers, acupuncturists, herbalists, and other people to offer alternative medicine and actually create a more vital sense of healthcare. So that's our healthcare system is uh, what we design, which is not as much based on Western medicine, but really on like keeping your being as vital as possible. Um, the second part is growing food. So agroforestry, um, we have an awesome agro, uh, agroforestry person on our team um, who's done a lot, lot of large scale projects. And so that process, I always see there's, there's like two options. Most, so society decides to leave nature the way it is put off, put around fences and be like, don't touch this. This is pure and pristine. Or on the other side, we're like, okay, let's take over this plot. Let's, let's build like a city here. This is a great place to take over nature. But there's a place in between where actually gardening with nature, where we're encouraging its growth and it's helping us encourage our growth. And so that's what I really see agroforestry is creating systems that align with the natural ecology. So we're growing food and also helping the ecology around us. And they even have a theory that that's actually how the Amazon was created. When in my permaculture class, we talked about that. And there's different terraced places in the Amazon that they believe a lot of the fruit that we think grows wild, like mango and coconuts, were actually cultivated over time through working with nature. Um, so, I mean, it tastes that good. Yeah, it does. <laughs> good mango. It's very I mean, aligned with the human taste buds. So, um, mango is amazing. Yeah, and then uh, and then the 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 third part is uh, self governance, and so creating a system of people that are more permanent re- residents. the The healing center will be kind of people coming and going. It will also be like a kind of a campground area. Um, the permanent residence will, that's where tiny temples will be that people can kind of plug in to, to work on tiny houses. We have a, a few other businesses that, that we've been working with, an herbal business, um, a cryptocurrency business, and different places that people can like plug in where they feel aligned for their deepest work's purpose. And then there's also openness for people creating their own businesses from there. Um, and and then creating the tiny houses for people to live in uh, more full time. And so we're, 
really close. We have a lot of the back end together. We have a bunch of investors. We're trying to just find the ideal property because like my theory was explaining, the importance is listening to the land. And so we want a place that the land really feels connected to us being their stewards and allowing the village to emerge from the land, not from our head. And so our next process is putting the right plot of land under contract. We're looking for somewhere that has abundant water, um, somewhere that's like in between elevation, not too high where we can't grow food, but not too low where it's not the for like the, the wild forest that we crave. Um, and then enough acres for us to really like subdivide and create a, the other aspect of the sanctuary is where people we're putting it under a land trust so people can actually have a home um, that will stay there and feel like a sense of settling. Right now, it's really hard to buy a house, especially in Colorado. Um, and it also separates people. And so we're offering the option to actually buy in through sweat equity or through financial equity to own your own kind of plot. I think the only way that an eco-village really works in the U.S. is having your own space that you can kind of do what you want with, have your own like spontaneous decisions. I, I see in Asia, like there's a lot of monasteries. People work together. There's a way that uh, there's more of a hive mind that works uh, kind of like bees and there's less like backtalk and like issues because because people like work for a common goal a lot easier and, and more synergy. In the U.S., I think we, we, ha we have a tendency to have larger auras, more expansive and expressive and more ego-driven. And so that's why we feel it's important that people have some space that it's like, I want to build a greenhouse and uh, we don't have space to build it on the commons area. So they have their own plot that they could do their own project um and then invest into it and feel um in resonance with their their unique field i like the clarity of the vision yeah i mean it's it's coming true totally and that that's just like even a little piece <laughs> yeah um another guy that i interviewed that was one of the most also breaking normal people i've ever met was uh mike reynolds yep are you have you been to that neighborhood and Taos and um, all that stuff? And what do you think about that? I mean, I was like, all, yeah. well, I, well, I'll say about that because I'm no, I, I'm not, I have no idea about architecture like you do. Mm -hmm. I am inspired by it, mm -hmm. um, and I love it. And I remember loving staying in the Airbnb there, yeah, uh, because I felt like I was in a sound studio, like in the womb of the earth. Like I felt like I was sleeping in this like little sound studio cocoon underground mm -hmm. but then i woke up and it's like so bright and sunny and fresh i was inspired i was inspired by yeah. those uh earth ships yeah he he has a very similar theory there's not many of us around but we're starting to populate in terms of creating womb spaces really like curving walls and what i kind of see it as like a permanent hug so you're creating a space mm -hmm. that's like continuously hugging you even in feng shui, they say energy gets caught in corners. And I even asked a professor in feng shui, what, like, what do they think about a roundhouse? And they're like, oh, I don't like them. You can't do any feng shui in them because they're already perfect. 
<laughs> so the process of rounding a space allows energy to move more fluidly. Um, and uh, corners actually trigger a part of our brain that uh, has a sense of threat. We're constantly scanning the environment for threats, whether we realize it or not. Uh, it's just a part of our biology. And so when we see corners, um, there's the part of our brain lights up where we see a threat subtly. Obviously, you're not like panicking if you see a corner, but, you, but it creates a slight sense of dis-ease. And all those slight corners eventually kind of build up. And I, I think what people don't realize is, I think uh, Alan Watts talks about this, we are our environments. And we don't really realize it because we are our environments. If you separate the environment from the species, there's no species. So um, we don't realize that um, how influenced subconsciously we get by our environments. And so really, that's my process is really creating more permanent effects on people by living in a space that feels conducive to their bodies and their biology and their heart space that really hugs them. Um, and yeah, my business partner, Padme, worked with Mike Reynolds for a little bit too. Uh, also oh, nice. in Don, yeah. Yeah, that interview was like catch the virus of clean water with Mike Reynolds. Oh, yeah. And this was like five months before like, or it was well before the whole cultural oh. C word mm -hmm. <laughs> thing. <laughs> and he just kept talking about how he's a virus that he wants people to catch. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> and the virus he was of clean water. Of clean water. And he was, yeah. he was radical. I remember him talking about like how when he was like out there living on by himself with his own earthship, he got so happy it was concerning. Mm -hmm. So he had to come back and do something. That, that's a similar story to me too. I, I, I go on these hermitages every winter. The last one I did up in Canada for three months where I didn't see a single soul. It was like out probably, I mean, it was at the, at the end of a highway on the border of Alaska. Um, and then it was a three-hour snowmobile ride into the cabin by this waterfall. And um, that's where I gained my deepest power and inspiration and like vitality and i often have the same thought i'm like everything just feels so perfect but then there's like this part of me that like wants the challenge and the the uh like needs to come like i don't feel like i'm doing anything for it, anyone or the earth and so what my process is is continue to bring that peace and vitality and power that i get from the retreats back to society and really have something like i don't know there's part of me that just wants to get dirty with all of it <laughs> i mean have you i'm assuming you've read or watched into the wild yeah yeah actually i i watched it right before i did my backpacking trip up the west coast <laughs> and he was like he reminded me uh, very very much of myself um, and then actually, yeah, I remembered that quote at the end. He's like, I don't remember it exactly, but it's something like happiness. Uh, happiness is not the same if it's not shared. 
Um, yeah, I remember that's that's how I remember that movie. Happiness yeah. is not real. I think happiness yeah. is not real and the, unless it, it's shared. Yeah, and I, I very much feel that way. It's like, well, yeah, I just feel like I'm in this bliss cloud for no reason, and so um, just continuing to bring that bliss back into society more and more. That's that was my mission statement that I wrote a long time ago: is to bring the wild back to civilization. Hmm. And that the, that wild doesn't just mean nature. There's nature all around, but the wild is the sense of coming from the source, the wild coming from the earth, and really acting from that place, and also building from that place. Yeah, you know, for breaking normal, the book, the I think the subtitle is "Rewild Your Inner Child and Set the Truth Free." That's right. I like the cover. <laughs> and I. Um, yeah, think about what you're saying about nature. Because most kids are just so in awe of nature mm. from what I can see is before they're taught otherwise. But it's just like they're either scared, they're either curious, they're either like, it's a lot. Like the river here, I, you know, I, I, I walk a lot with Davina. She loves the apples. She notices mm. different things happening to the trees. She notices the river. And I just think about so many adults that just walk, you know, they not even notice mm -hmm. it. It's, it's just some, it's sometimes it's for some people, just a hindrance. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that's, um, well, I guess two things, but one is the, the way we build too. It's kind of like, I mean, yeah, people don't see it as much, but the thing is we do notice things that have a more organic nature better. Like I use the example of like a picture if all the pictures are sh are straight or all the bricks uh, on the side of a uh, road are perfectly straight, we don't notice every brick. But as soon as there's one brick that's slanted, all of a sudden our tension goes there. Our process is, is slanting all the bricks so that we actually enliven our senses within a space. And then we feel more vital and alive in a space. And there's like millions of intricacies that we could go into in, inside of a piece of wood. And that's usually my process of building. Um, I forgot my second point. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I want to know before I forget to ask yeah. is um, anyone that's listening to this that wants to get involved in whatever, what's the best way to reach out? So we have Instagram, Tiny Temples, Tiny Homes, uh, or the website, tinytemplestinyhomes.com. Um, we also have a Facebook page, Tiny Temples, Tiny Homes. And my own business for natural building is HealingEarthHomes.com. Um, and all our contacts there, you could also go to TinyTemplesTinyHomes at gmail.com. Um, or, uh, yeah, I think those are the best ways. And then, how would you like people to reach out? Like, what would be like? What would be a great reach out? Well, <laughs> you know, I, I like. I've been giving my cell phone number out in a few <laughs> recent podcasts, and I've oh, gotten really? like awesome messages. Uh, th th that was my pause because I was like about to give my phone number out, and then I questioned. <laughs> well, that. that's up to you. That I, I'm not. I'm not recommending it. I don't know what I did with that, but it's, so far it seems pretty good to me. All right. I'm not going to give it out right now. <laughs> Maybe there's a second podcast. I'll, I'll feel into that decision. But um, uh, one, I mean, a few things. Like 
we're looking for, we have a few investors into tiny temples um, to make a series of prototypes, kind of a gallery of what's possible. Um, because a lot of what we've done is client-based. But what we really want to do is kind of, even though most of our clients give us complete creative freedom, there's a process of being our own clients and really allowing that creative process to emerge and see what's possible. And so we have a series of five prototypes that we're looking to create. One's a mobile sauna that's on-grid and off-grid. One's a mobile hot tub that's on-grid and off-grid. And then the other ones are uh, more tiny, teeny tiny homes that can be towed uh, by a V6 or a V8, uh, more accessible to people that uh, can park it in their backyard, on their driveway, can tow it anywhere, um, and kind of give people the option to adventure out, more like a camper style. But our process is really using that same form of organic architecture to make a really homey home. Because if you go to a camper spot, they're gonna, you're going to get like a plastic box that's filled with chemicals. It's really hard to find anything custom made that that's, that, that's that small. And I think we're going to be renting these out, showcasing them, and then, and then eventually selling them. And um, the other thing that people could reach out to us is if they want to invest into the eco-village property or be involved in that. Um, you could reach out to tiny temples. Um, and um, yeah, people that are just excited about what we're doing and maybe want a tiny house or want to meet us. We're pretty open to visitors. Uh, we're just moved up towards Lyons in uh, near Boulder, Colorado. And uh, it's called the Newer Sanctuary. It's a temporary rental, which is kind of aligned with the same vision until we buy the property that we're going to be living on more permanently. Front range, baby. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I've, I've been to every state, and this is where I live now. I like yeah. to be really close to the mountains here. You know, and I had a friend that's been on the podcast recently, mm -hmm. and she told me she had a dream that, like, some guy told her to be prepared because, like, Denver could shut the grid down in oh, 10 yeah. minutes. <laughs> like, and I'm... The military. A lot of people are hyper-concerned and probably hyper-interested in what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, I mean, I mean, it's just so relevant right now. Yeah, without getting into all the details, totally. I think people know what I'm alluding to. If you haven't, I try to make them my Instagram stories, just sharing sharing some more accurate news mm -hmm. and the propaganda that's out there for the puppets yeah. that are willing to play. And yeah, that's very much a behind the scenes mission of Tiny Temples is to kind of help us mobilize as well. I mean, I had two instances where there's fires up here in Boulder. And a lot of homes burned. The fire was right near me. Uh, and we just, uh, I just got my, my camper or my tiny house on my truck and drove away um, and saved my house. And the second fire, we actually stayed and fought. It would have burned our whole farm. Um, but we, fir we first took everything out. Then we came back and put out the fire. Um, it was just you mean those right ones of last year? Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, I have. Oh, um, yeah. And that was a cool moment of community too where literally our, there's probably 15 people, our whole crew showed up. They, they knew what was happening. My friend has a moving company. He called me up while I was speeding down the roads um, and came first thing and started loading up everything. We, we, we got out of there in uh, an hour and a half, two hours, got all our tools 
all our possessions, everything was gone. And then we came back, broke the barricade or drove around the barricade <laughs> and continue to fight the fire and, and probably and save the farm. The firefighters came at 10 at night when we were already there for six hours. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I mean, so what do you think? What do you, like? What is the why Colorado? Like, how do you make it? What, what do I you don't do? Know. What do you? <laughs> I mean, people are. I don't blame them. I, I, there's a few things I want to say. You know, you mentioned the vaccines earlier. I'm kind of surprised how many people are messaging me with scary stories about people that mm-hmm. were impacted by that personally. Yeah, like their dads. I can't believe I've heard about when someone messaged me. Their dad didn't recover and died. Their dad ended up at the hospital. He might. He looks like he's recovered. I'm like, shit. I don't know if I would see this on. I don't know if I would hear about this unless it was being privately messaged yeah, to me from the vaccines, right? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, yeah. Well, I mean, without saying too much, I'm just yeah, like, that's just, I, just, I believe in what's most personal, is most universal, and what I can see with my own eyes. Because I think news can be sensationalized in so many ways. In reality, like being here in my own face, things are epic. Yep. But. Uh, when I have people that are real human beings messaging me these stories and, and I, I think they're telling the truth, I'm like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh. Yeah, and that's, that's a, another piece of the village, the sanctuary place. We're, we're setting up a 508, which actually uh, exercises your amendments to separate yourself from the government. And so we're creating our own jurisdiction that will actually protect people um, in those situations, creating our own economy and our own food that we don't have to rely so much on the man to uh, supply our basic needs. Yeah, that seems like a very important thing to get maybe interested in. Mm-hmm. Now, how does that work exactly? So, like, so for instance, if I want to sell wild meat mm-hmm. um, and I got a collective of hunters mm-hmm. that were willing to sell all their byproducts, we could do this legally under a membership model like that? Is yeah, that what I mean, you've learned thus far? I mean, I know you're not. Yeah, I'm, I don't want to claim anything. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, publicly, but we've, we're, we're doing a lot of research on it right now. And it, uh, it, it's a private membership organization. And so people pay a membership fee to be part of your membership. That membership is outside of, of the governmental jurisdiction. And so that gives you a, a lot of safety and freedom. And so that's a big part of what we want to create on the eco village is a sense of safety that people can make their own choices, do what feels good to them and like be honored in their unique expression. Such a big, such a big conversation. And we'll have to do, uh, I haven't, I've been on pause for international tribe design for a while, but those things, those were really like, I would say the uh, practicing the art of community building and yep. finding one's own archetype where they're there mm-hmm. themselves, like yeah. just being uniquely them and it's good. Like no worries. Exactly. Don't you're not here to you're not here to live up to my approval or anyone's approval. Here. Exactly. Just like find you, and we're gonna support that. Yeah. <laughs> it's like very it's very aligned. We're, we're just trying to create a permanent location for that. Yeah. That people can always be, um, and always feel like themselves. And it's tricky because they don't. That doesn't fit into like a square like <laughs> square peg kind of idea. Yeah, that totally. it's it can be um, a real dance. It's much more of an artistic way to live, I would say, and that's what it sounds like is mm-hmm. coming through your architecture, yeah. art, architecture. Ar- yeah, or architecture. Uh, way it's spelled on our website is architecture. So, okay, like uh, allowing more arcs in yeah. the building. <laughs> is there anything you want to make sure that we talk about that we haven't? Um, I mean, the, my my mind's pretty gets pretty single mindedly focused, and so. The things that I've been focusing on for years and years are just 
this new evolutionary way of building and uh, creating a sanctuary that is very aligned with our company and allows this intuitive process. There's like a lot of people say of like kind of the rise of the feminine, um, which is also like my responsibility as a man too, but it's this emergence where we're, we're allowing some, we're allowing a space for more intuition, nurturing, love, acceptance for the way things are and inviting whoever you are, wherever you come from to have that as well. Yeah, I'm stoked. I mean, it is clear to me once again because you were pretty much working like physically every day, right? Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty much that's nonstop. Like, you know, I have a thing for talent. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, you know, talent works. Yeah, that, and uh, I also have a thing for like philosopher philosophers that really work with their mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but man, walking and talk works. Yeah, I mean, and that's that's kind of the emergence of what we're creating is a lot of times there's a lot of, there's things that aren't communicated. There's a builder, an architect, an engineer, and then, um, and then they, they have to communicate with each other. And that's why it's probably like such an angry environment. People like create one thing and then they're yelling at the other person for creating that thing. That's like, that's pretty much the irony of construction is just people yelling at each other for doing something wrong all the time. So uh, and there's no, but that's the thing. There's no right way to do a building. We've created codes that actually create buildings that are less strong than the ways we used to build thousands of years ago. And so, how people, metaphorical is all this? Like, I think of, now I think of the FDA and I think oh, yeah. of the USDA. Yeah, and I think or USDA kind of, organic. I just recently heard it only has to be fifty percent organic. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Like, there's an iteration. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't. When, that, that's important to note too. Which 50% organic isn't organic anymore. <laughs> um, so what is this? Uh, just, I mean, while I have you here for a few more minutes. Yeah. What do you think this is? It's like an, a virus of the mind. Do you think it's like darkness? Do you think it's like parasitic thought? Like where, why is all this weird, like obviously wrong codes embedded in our culture? Hmm. I think it comes from what we focus on. So mostly what buildings are focused on most every business, people constantly have money on their mind. No matter how wealthy you are, as soon as you get a million dollars, you spend all that million dollars and then you you up your standard of living. And if you go below that standard of living, you feel like you're impoverished again. And so no matter how wealthy you are, people are constantly focused on money. What we need to redirect the focus is towards our hearts, towards what real wealth is, which is our body and our well-being. And then, um, yeah, towards uh, the people we love, spending time to enjoy what you're doing. I, There's no way in hell that you could get me to work any job that I don't fully want to do. And so that's what I'm giving people the opportunity. And once you fully own and embody what you love and what you are, brings you joy then everything else feels easeful even if it's difficult like i i hate construction <laughs> which is ironic but if i'm building a house for that square that i don't like the way it looks my 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 biggest dissatisfaction is construction and so 
I could be standing a apartment complex and hate my life, but then I could be sanding something that I'm building that's alive and with nature, and I love sanding. It's all about what we're doing it for, not necessarily the activity we're doing. And that ease, it's kind of like, like walking up a mountain. A mountain, walking up a mountain isn't, is not the most easeful thing. It can be painful, especially if it's like 15 miles in a day. Um, but there's a joy, there's like a vitality that we get when we're moving through pain for something that we deeply b- believe in. And so I'm willing to go through whatever pain and uh, hurt it takes to do the things that I deeply love. Um, and there's nothing that could stop me. So, hmm. Job. I, your job no. is your joy of being. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I but, actually do think that, you know, money, it's a, such a huge topic. <laughs> my, my, uh, my belief on money is that if you're doing something you don't want to do to earn it, then it's kind of dirty. Yeah, and it probably won't happen as easily. I mean, it might happen. Who knows? But the thing is, my, my theory is actually joy is before profit because, I mean, if you look at any advertising, what they're, they're, they're giving you the promise of joy that if you get this product, you're going to have satisfaction. But really... Uh, most of those products don't really um, give you joy, very long-lasting. Um, but really, uh, so when we, when we live through joy, um, people get inspired by that, and people want to donate to that. Um, I mean, it's happened in many different aspects, but even Healing Earth Homes was started me just building out my camper and then someone asked to do a TV show of me and then it one thing led to the next. But um, what we try to offer is a whole organism of well-being rather than just the promise of joy. So like your new underwear might give you joy for one moment, but if a whole space that you're living in can continue to give you more vitality, especially if the materials are non-toxic and like the way it's built gives you more vitality. And so really finding those moments or finding those things that give us true vitality rather than the promise of vitality. Yeah. I mean, I'm just, I'm kind of just, I keep going over this in my mind about like money and clean (laughs) clean money. And I'm thinking like, yeah, I think that my best way I've had a relationship, I'm going to make it personal. My best relationship I've had with money is when, I use money as like a tool, as like or a tool or an indication. Am I am I doing my joy of being? Yeah. Am I working towards my joy of being? Not something that I well, I'll do whatever it takes to get. Mm-hmm. It's more like oh, I got this is holding me accountable to make sure I'm mm-hmm. offering a service. Yeah, totally. That, that fills me up. Tony if, Robbins says that he's like, uh, the secret to making a lot of money is actually providing more service to more people. And so it's like a different way to look at it rather than just how can I use people? It's like how much service and giving can I offer the world? If you offer the whole world an immense gift, you're, they're, they're going to offer you more money in exchange for that. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, it's biblical. It's all the way back to all the days, like <laughs> the joy of giving, the ser- the, the honor of service. Mm. I Like, yeah. I think in reality, that's probably what's most important to most people deepest down is that they serve the people they loved. Yeah, exactly. You're not going to take all your money in a bag <laughs> when you die. So. Yeah, Wookiee Foot. There's a band. How you're Wookiee Foot? Yeah. They they they're the intro to the podcast, and uh, oh. uh, they have a uh, that. What's that song? Huh. <laughs> well, I don't know the title of it, but it's all. I think about, I've heard it, but I don't remember. You're, you're, you can't. Uh, <laughs> oh shit! Just look it up. I'm gonna. It's, I'm gonna. Ooh. <laughs> when I try to <laughs> remember things, you know, what I'm talking about like it's like a dog chasing its tail. Yeah. Like when I let it go, then I'm. <laughs> and especially, especially on a podcast, you don't want a long period of silence while you think of the name. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> You're like, all right, so. let's have a silent moment on the podcast. I guess the biggest threat to that would be that, like, the listener might start to feel awkward, but that's not that's not the kind of audience we're trying to please. Yeah, right? yeah. I like. The, I would say a lot. <laughs> most of one of the, my, one of my golden threads of my, how I interact socially is to aim for like an authentic awkwardness. Yeah, totally. Like going out, that's kind of what I do. Yeah, I try to. Did a little bit. Of that. Like Patch Adams, one of my inspirations. I've like met him a few times. He does that really well. Like just clowning. Um, we we were just at the Renaissance fair and doing like a we full in character and like <laughs> just to like make people feel a little uncomfortable so they have to react with you. Um, uncomfortable. Yeah. Have uncomfortable. you have you interviewed Matthew Silver yet? I don't think so. Is that, uh, that, is that that wild guy on yeah, like, yeah. Instagram? He would be a great hair? person. Yeah, he <laughs> used to live here. He's one of my friends. Um, oh wow! But you we, still in Boulder? Yeah, that yeah. Makes sense. And then we we did a few um, whatever you call it, his thing downtown oh, and on Pearl um, Street and stuff. Yeah, oh, nice. we had the police called at one point, nice. and we just kept interacting with the police like in like crazy abnormal ways, and they didn't know what to do. <laughs> and then eventually they left. <laughs> That's funny. Like, yeah. and, and uh, that happened once where on a busy night on Pearl Street where I guess like the dogs are not technically allowed. Mm-hmm. I had the dogs tied up. Like they were just tied to each other, but they mm-hmm. were sitting and uh, by themselves. Mm-hmm. And so many people reported, I guess, the dogs to the local police as abandoned. Mm-hmm. Then the police came over and I like walked over and I'm like, hi. <laughs> like, are these your dogs? And they're like, they were just confused on what to do. He's like, well, you know, dogs are not allowed here. He's like, but there's a lot of dogs here right now. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> and he's like, these are obviously well-behaved dogs. I'm like, yeah, yeah. I put them away from me because I, everyone asked to pet them. Yeah. And my point of bringing this up is just to highlight the unique little bubble of Boulder. Yep. Like there's like a lot of people that uh, t- tell on me to, uh, like with the dogs and the situations to find out I'm not causing any trouble. Mm-hmm. But there's like a real neighborhood watch thing going on here. Yeah, yeah, totally. And that's part of the scary thing about these viruses of minds, like the virus of the minds that get picked up. Because I think in like Boulder, mm-hmm. my understanding is they are mandating masks for children uh, schools if they're inside. Yeah. I'm like, wait a minute, that's kind of scary because this is kind of a bubble. bubble. Like if they, yeah. if they adopt that, what's next? It's all about what you say. That's why we have a few lawyers on our team for the Eco Village. Cops get you to prosecute yourself. They ask you the questions to admit to what you're doing so that's against the rules. But the, so I didn't complete this story with Matthew Silver. The police came because they were called. There's three officers. 
I continued to interact them with like gibberish and like dancing around them. <laughs> um, then my partner at the time started in- interacting with them like normally mm-hmm. for a second. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden they said what we're doing is illegal. So then they said we had to leave. But what happened was we, we got everyone to circle up and, and talked amongst ourselves. And we were like, should we leave or should we keep going? And then we're like, let's wait for the police officers to leave first. So we sat there, waited for the police officers to leave, and then we kept going. Um, yeah, these but, are gray zones, like yeah. in, the, in like a, bo- a bubble-like boulder. It is weird. It's like, you know, dogs are supposed to be leashed, but they are leashed yep. to each other. Yeah. But there's such this... Oh, well, it's all God lingo, too. Like, I, I, was, I was getting on, like... It was kind of like more arguments when I was walking into stores without a mask. Um, and then I like stopped wanting to do that. And so, and it, I just figured out the words. I have a condition. And then I could get into any store. It was like very easy. You just say I have a condition. And, and who doesn't have a condition? <laughs> yeah, don't, they, don't, they can't legally ask you what condition you have. Yeah, yeah, I'm gonna have to cut myself off oh, here, yeah. but I will say call. I will say that like I am a little suspicious of once again the sensationalization of the news because I've heard like New York City and Los Angeles are gonna require vaccine passports, but I just don't know if that's is that really happening? Yeah, like have you talked to people where no, they're like my, they my, wanted to go to their coffee shop and they're not going to their coffee shop anymore because they have to show their yeah passport. my partner was just in New York. And yeah. is this happening? She couldn't go to a lot of clubs, yeah. Because they need to see a vaccine passport of sorts. Yeah. So that's okay. Yeah. That's good to confirm. But if you come to our eco village, well, that's what I'm saying. We'll also, there's like the so thing. many alternatives. <laughs> like, I, there's places in Boulder that are just more mm-hmm. leaning that way. Mm-hmm. And then there's places that are just like they're for they're they're, they're doing their thing. Like we're doing our thing. Yeah, totally. Just a lot. I, I don't I don't argue with people that choose to get a vaccine. I'm just like. It's similar, just like allow you to be. I'm I'm responsible for my own health, so I'm gonna take it in my own hands. I don't need to tell you how to. Yeah. Use your body. Yeah, I mean that's. I think it used to be. I thought that it was like a law, like a medical law. You're not allowed to inquire about medical things. Yeah, yeah, no, you can't. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm a little confused. I'm a little confused about. <laughs> as a lot of people are, so I would say yeah. As mm-hmm. uh, core, uh, as, <laughs> as you like alluded to in so many ways yeah. and through your work, like yeah, it's time to tune into the heart. Yeah, if if yeah, yeah, if they ask me for my passport, then I'll I'll ask them for all their medical history too. Just can I see proof of negative test on HIV? Uh, but I don't want anyone cooking my food who has HIV. Um, herpes. And, yeah. I mean, herpes. like, where do you draw the line? Yeah. Um, so, the, so the, yeah, <laughs> so, the, so there. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, think, I from, he, from architecture to the architecture of our bodies. Uh, That's the, the full loop. Well, yeah. as usual, to be continued. Thanks for yeah. your time and presence and power and awesomeness. Yeah, totally appreciate you having me on. It was fun talking with you. Keep breaking normal, y'all.